You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hey, Joe. Hi, Dave. We get some good stories to share this week, and we are joined once again by our N2K colleague and host of the T-Minus Daily Space podcast, Maria Vermasis. Maria. Hi. Good to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Great to have you back. We will have our stories after a word from our sponsor. But first, a word from our sponsors at Know Before. We're not talking conspiracy theory when we say it's all connected. When it comes to InfoSec tools, effective integrations can make or break your security stack. Though not as common, the same should be true for security awareness training. Not only does Know Before deliver the world's largest library of security awareness training, but they also provide a way to integrate the various elements of your existing security stack to help you strengthen your organization's security culture. Stay with us, and in a few minutes, we'll hear from our sponsors at Know Before about how you can integrate security awareness with your tech stack like never before. All right, Joe. So before we jump into our stories here with our very special guest, Maria, uh-huh. uh, we've got a good bit of follow-up here today. We do. You want to start things off for a us? A significant amount. Yes, Dave. All of our follow-up today is anonymous. And the first one reads, Hi, guys. I'm in recovery from addiction, but from a time, or for a time, more than five years ago, I was around and involved with the underbelly of society. Hmm. Um, Listening to one of your recent episodes about the gift card scams, you had a listener write in uh, that she had gotten her balance stolen from the gift card before they actually tried to use it. I know people who would shoplift the gift cards off the rack and bring them back home and then scratch off the scratch off, that little part under the silver part. Silver part. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, the fun part. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Exactly. And then get the numbers. I know Mm. at the time, taking gift cards off the rack was pretty low stakes since they don't have any value associated with them, so they weren't being monitored by any kind of security protocols. Mm. Then they would actually order off eBay a roll of the scratch-off stickers. Oh, the silver stuff. This is the part we were missing, Dave. I didn't know you could just buy a roll of that stuff. Who knew? eBay's got everything. Yeah. (laughs) Jeez. So uh, they would then roll that, reapply it, the scratch-off sticker over the numbers, and bring it back to the store and pretty much reverse steal the gift cards onto the shelves. Yeah. Then they would track those serial numbers on a website called uh, Gift Card Granny. I don't know why it's called Gift Card Granny. Maybe because your your grandmother always gives you gift cards. <laughs> That's going <laughs> to be good enough sure. for me. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and when the balance showed up, they would do something on that website to either buy other gift cards or cash them out for some percentage on the dollar. some I think it's like 80 cents for the dollar that you get. Okay. Mm. Um, so, like, if your grandmother says, well, I know he likes to eat, here's an Olive Garden gift card for 100 bucks. Right. You go, I'm never going to use this. Uh, I'm going to go get 80 bucks out of this. And somebody gets uh, 20 of Nana's dollars. Okay. Right? So, yeah. okay. Uh, hmm. 
he's not sure about many more details uh, about how it worked, but that's pretty much how the front end of the scam worked. Okay, so this pretty much confirms our suspicions right. about uh, you know people stealing the cards, getting the numbers, and putting them back. But you're right; we were missing that. We we're missing the availability, the easy availability of that silver <laughs> scratch-off part. That's right. interesting. Yeah, you could just put that back in the gift card, and it goes back on the shelf, and no one's any the wiser. Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder if grocery stores and places that sell gift cards, if they've upped their game when it comes to monitoring the gift card rack or or not. I don't know. That's a good question. You know what? Next time I go to the store, I'm going to make a point of looking at the gift card rack mm-hmm. and see what's going on there. It'll be that, that suspicious guy lurking around the gift card <laughs> I'm the rack. suspicious guy whenever I walk into a <laughs> grocery store. Sir, can we help you? Security starts following me. <laughs> right, right, exactly. This guy is going to steal something. Yeah. No, they, they, no, I don't look like that at all. I mean, I just walk in schlub around the place, get mm-hmm. angry, and walk out. That's usually how it goes for me. <laughs> well, get it without purchasing get anything. Angry. Yeah. <laughs> All right. The okay. lack of gift cards. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we've got some more feedback here. Uh, someone writes in and says, Hey, guys. First, wow, Joe. I would never have placed you as a metalhead. <laughs> I tend to favor that genre of music, but do listen to pretty much anything that has a good beat and talent. So anyway, I want to We were touch- talking a couple weeks ago about expert Testimony from musicians. Right. And I mentioned Dave Lombardo. And Yes. 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 For folks who uh, are long-time listeners will know that uh, Joe is quite the metalhead. Yes. And going from, you know, back in the day uh, when he had a, a, a full collection of uh, of heavy metal T-shirts I, that still fit him. I, you and, didn't even know me and we've never <laughs> talked about them. They don't still fit me. I don't even have them anymore. That's right. I actually ran a heavy metal show on the radio uh, yeah. for my college. That's right. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Right. That's yeah. great. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this uh, listener goes on and says, anyway, I want to touch on a subject that you have mentioned a few times recently. A couple episodes ago, you mentioned how the spammers are using easy-to-use services that offer free trials and such. I believe you mentioned Azure in this. Well, funny thing, after that episode, I noticed I started getting a few spam messages sent from, you guessed it, on Microsoft.com. They always contain a couple of images only and no text in the body. The subject is usually something like, please verify, or that I've won a Harbor Freight, Makita, or Roby something. Most get caught by spam filters, but a few have actually made it through. Hmm. Uh, This person goes on and says, on a scammer's note, you all mentioned Andy Cohen going public about how he got scammed. This story actually reminds me of Wells Fargo. I have notices that when I go in, they verify my accounts by sending me a text message to my cell. In our everyday lives, we are told not to give these pins out if asked for them, But Wells Fargo is using this as a way to identify you. I find this strangely wrong. Okay, so this is actually part of the Wells Fargo multi-factor authentication on their website. Okay. Um, And what they're doing is you have to register a phone with them. And when you log in, they say, we're going to send you a text message. Yeah. And this is the the SMS method of uh, multi-factor authentication. Yeah. Uh, You 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 think of multi-factor authentication as something you know and something you have or something you are. When you take two of those things... And those are the multi-factors. So you know your username and password. You have your phone right. to yeah. verify it. Uh, and yes, for all the uh, all the aficionados of multi-factor authentication, SMS is the worst fa- kind of multi-factor authentication, but it is a lot better than nothing. Right. Like yeah. A whole lot <laughs> better. Um, like, but, yeah, but never mind. Uh, but yes, this this is normal. Now, so here, here's, the, here's the workflow. You, um, you, are on the website 
and you're logging in mm-hmm. and you enter your username and password and it says, we're going to send you a code. You say, send me the code. You get the code. And then it says, what's the code? You enter the code. That's a normal workflow, right? Yeah. The, uh, another normal workflow that I've actually seen from Comcast and T-Mobile is I call into these services and they say, we're going to send you a code to verify it's you. Now I've called into the service, so I know who it is I'm talking to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they send me a code, so I give it to them. But on the inbound call, when you get the call, then you get the, the text number. Don't give that number back. Mm. Yeah. Because yeah. that's how the scam works. I know this seems like really convoluted like and very nuanced. But if somebody calls you and says, hey, I need to verify your, uh, your identity— you really need to verify their identity. Right. right. That's what needs to happen. And the only way (laughs) to do that is by calling the known good number. Yeah. Yeah, that distinction is really important, which direction it's going. Right after we did that story, I think three days later, a friend of mine contacted me that they had just gotten affected by that scam. And (sighs) it's, it was... It was how I found out that our local credit union had been breached because oh, apparently almost oh, wow. all of the customers were getting this same phone call uh, directly. They had enough PII to sound credible that it could be from our credit union. Uh, and so they, they they presented themselves as, you know, from the bank and said, we're going to send you a bunch of text messages to make sure you are who we think you are. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And our credit union didn't have that little message in the SMS thing saying, we will never call you and ask you for this number. Right. Which I've noticed that a lot of bigger places won't. Make sure to include that, but not everybody's got that, which right. seems like a nice thing to have. It should be part of the workflow, I think. It really should. This person goes on and says, my PII has been part of many data breaches. <laughs> Join the club. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> do you all have any ideas on what anyone can do to protect themselves from these kinds of breaches? Many of the security and monitoring services like LifeLock and Incogni and so on seem like a money grab, but these services can be late on delivering news of a breach. My big thing is that I have a special needs child who is not going to be able to be as active on maintaining any kind of data protection if anything happens to me or their siblings. Their PII has also been breached with mine multiple times. I've frozen all of my family's social security numbers, but that only really protects credit. Yeah. So freezing your credit is a great way to go at all three of the major credit agencies. Yeah. Uh, That's really your biggest risk. Um, Somebody opening a line of credit in in your name or your child's name is going to be a huge headache. Uh, So it also, the other thing I would say is if you have identity and identity theft insurance available at your employer, I definitely look into getting some of that. Mm. Uh, The, uh, there are a couple things I want to say. Number one, assume that your data has been breached. Never get out information again on the inbound calls. Just say, hang up, I'll call you back. Um, or say, hang, uh, I guess you have to say that first and then hang up. But um, <laughs> And remember, <laughs> if someone does commit fraud and opens a uh, an account in your name or your child's name, don't ever agree that you owe that money. That is that it, you are a victim just like the like the bank is a victim. And don't mm. let this bank, they're going to try to, uh, yeah, I, I've seen situations where they try to uh, push somebody to say, you know, you just got to admit that you owe this debt. And once once you do that, it's it's all over. Um, you know, they, they might be able to win a court case. At least that's what I understand. Again, <laughs> not a lawyer. Yeah, uh, well, just this week we saw, I, I, we reported over on the CyberWire that, uh, uh, the state of New York is suing Citibank, and one of the things that they're uh, upset about is that um, Citibank was saying that they have no responsibility if someone follows the instructions of a criminal. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, mm. So they're going to duke it out over that. Yeah. Well, I'd like to see how that cut turns out. I hope yeah. it doesn't turn out well for Citibank. Yeah. Um, and finally, I'd like to say, I, you know, I don't know exactly what the, what the situation is with, uh, with the special needs child. That's a broad term, right? So I, I don't, uh, I don't know what the, where on the, I mean, it's not, it's not even a spectrum. It's more like a two-dimensional plane, right? Uh, maybe even a three-dimensional, very complex. I, so make sure that your child is not the only person that's involved in the financial decisions. Make yeah. sure there's somebody else there, uh, that has this child's best interest at heart at, uh, at all times. Uh, and then last bit of follow-up here uh, from uh, someone who goes by the Computrix on Mastodon uh, wrote in and said, I need to defend Walmart a bit. So, Joe, remember a few episodes ago, you and I were taking uh, cheap pot shots at Walmart? <laughs> yes, yes, we were. <laughs> uh, which I uh, which I mostly stand by. But uh, um, Computrix writes in and says, they provide college degrees for any of their employees. Many of my cybersecurity students are only able to attend college because Walmart is paying for them to do so. This includes mm. books. One student is a delightful older gentleman who works the night shift restocking shelves. To have watched his growth since 2020 is amazing, and now he has opportunities he would not have had. Anyhow, it's hard to defend a major company like Walmart, but even a stopped clock is correct twice a day. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, well, I'd Fair say enough. that's a good, a, a very yeah. good benefit that yeah, Walmart a, offers. Yeah, it's a great point. It's yeah. a great point. I mean, I, I think uh, most of the issues I have with uh, Walmart are kind of broader, uh, uh, philosophical, societal issues. Right. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, you know, what, what the Walmart effect on small towns and things like that yeah. has been greatly documented, but. Uh, no, this is a great point, and uh, I appreciate uh, the Computrix writing in and uh, sharing that little bit of information with us. Interesting. I wonder if they uh, will pay for a master's degree. <laughs> Probably uh, maybe not. Maybe we should find out. I would love one. Why <laughs> right, don't we do exactly. it? Exactly. <laughs> getting, getting my PhD through Walmart. <laughs> right. Yeah. Hey, welcome to Walmart. Would you like a sticker? I'm getting my PhD. Yeah. Sure oh. you are, but sure you are, pal. Right. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, as always, we would love to hear from you. Uh, you can send us an email. It's hackinghumans at n2k.com. All right, let's jump into our stories here. And I uh, want to remind everybody that our special guest today is Maria Vermasis. She is the host of the T-Minus podcast right here on the CyberWire Network. And some of you are probably familiar with her from her regular appearances over on Smashing Security as well. Maria, uh it's great to have you back. And I have to say, before we jump in here, that uh, one of the reasons I invited you back was the overwhelming amount of, uh, of positive uh, response and, uh, and letters from listeners who said, please have Maria back as soon as possible. <laughs> Oh my gosh. You guys can't see it, but I'm blushing. <laughs> uh, that's really kind. Uh, this I I love talking about this kind of thing. Uh, it's 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 an honor. I really enjoy it. So thank you for having me back. Thanks everybody for asking for me back. That's really just really nice. <laughs> yeah. All right, Maria, what do you got for us today? Oh gosh, I wish this was a happy story. Um mm. <laughs> so strap in for this one, everybody. Uh, well, late January, many folks, especially in the U.S., you might have seen in the news that a lot of uh, social media tech CEOs did one of their uh, regular parades before a congressional committee to be yelled at about how their poor content moderation policies are literally getting minors killed, yep. only for them to do absolutely nothing about it and not be held accountable in any real way. Hooray. Good times, good times. Yeah, yeah, great times. <laughs> so in that vein... I thought we should look a little bit today at what is going on, and one of the crimes involved here is called sextortion. Uh, and as the name implies, criminals are coercing adults and increasingly minors, meaning teenagers, 
into sending sexually explicit material, and then the criminal will extort that minor for money, lest those images be shared with their families, friends, coworkers, classmates, the public in general, you name it, like Nana, you know, it's right. blackmail. Mm-hmm. Um, it and the apps that teens are commonly used are often commonly targeted by sextortionists. So big ones are Snapchat, Instagram, and one that I admittedly had not heard of called Wiz, which is a dating app for teens, which... Hmm. Uh, Why? Yeah, I, that was... <laughs> uh, yeah, Who I, thought I this was a good idea? <laughs> red alert when I heard that that even existed. But yeah, it, hmm. it exists, and, and not a big surprise, it is a big target for sextortion uh, crimes. So... What the criminals will often do, as they often will with any kind of extortion crime, is they're going to use a lot of social engineering. So in this case, it's catfishing. Uh, The criminal will pose as an attractive member of presumably the opposite sex. And in many cases, it's a pretty young lady they pretend to be. And they will connect to the profile of like the hunky football player or some such. Hmm. And over time, slowly, that scammer will make friends with the victims' friends, really get embedded in their social networks, build a lot of trust. Like, there's no mm. there's no rush here. Over time, slowly, things heat up to a boil, and then the sextortionist convince, convinces the victim to send them some sort of sexually explicit imagery or a video. And then that's really when it gets really bad, because the criminal now has their leverage, and the threats start. And these threats are awful. Um, basically, they, they, they threaten to show everyone that that person knows on their social network, including their family, and their teachers and their their friends and their teammates, the sexually explicit video. And in a panic, many times the victim will pay up because the extortion money is often $200 or some amount. But then right. it just escalates the demands, as we might imagine, as we've seen right. with ransomware sometimes too, right? Oh, I got some money out of you. I'm going to get more money out of you. Yeah, and if you don't pay up, guess what? I'm still going to do the thing I've threatened. Big surprise, right? Right. So the, the weapon really here is shame. And again, the, these extortionists are targeting, I mean, they're minors, they're children. So, um, you know, shame is a very powerful weapon in this case, and there's a lot of embarrassment, and the teens feel like they can't tell anyone, uh, and it's it's really terrible. And unfortunately, they're targeting predominantly teen boys and young men. Mm-hmm. Um, so many of these victims of these extortion crimes will sometimes try to find support with other victims. Reddit is a popular place where people will go and sort of compare notes on what they've experienced. And people have noticed that the messages that they're receiving from this extortionist are often not just super similar, but practically copy and paste of each other. Huh. And that's not a coincidence at all. No, this uh, is just... Th- th- these guys have a script that they're following. They sure do. Right. And like any like any campaign, even a terrible one like this, the criminals have optimized their scam. So someone who has looked into this is the Network Contagion Research Institute. And they published a really thorough report on all of this that I found uh, gripping, but extremely sad and alarming news. But uh, it's a highly recommended reading. And they have reported that incidents of this extortion crime have in I, I gotta say this number slowly because I can't believe it. Incidents of this crime have surged one thousand percent over the last eighteen months. Hmm. It's just astonishing. And NCRI wanted to figure out why this was happening. And to do so, they they took a look at a group in West Africa that's doing a lot of these crimes, and they're called the Yahoo Boys. No relation to the search engine or the company. It's just what they call themselves. <laughs> I think actually um, it does have a relationship. I think oh, those guys, <laughs> yes, because they use Yahoo email addresses. Oh man, I, I was meaning professionally. Like they're not professionally. Affiliated. No, no, no. It's not the it's not the Yahoo HR team who's <laughs> right. doing a little moonlighting. No, it's not. No. <laughs> if they use Yahoo, that's not Yahoo's yeah. fault. But yeah, no, um, no. Or, or is it? I oh, know. Just kidding. Um, so, <laughs> so the Yahoo boys. 
apparently seem to target high school university athletes. That seems to be a lot of who they go after, uh, as well as high school student groups in general, and even sometimes young professional athletes we've seen uh, get caught up in these extortion crimes. Um, but the reason is, when you think about it, kind of easy to understand. A lot of times these athletes have a lot of public information available to them to be, you know, that's good fodder for a social engineer. And right. often because they're athletes on teams, they're very connected to their peers and to a broader social network. So you get in with one athlete and then you can befriend the entire team. And then once you're friends with the whole team, you now have social proof that you're a legitimate account and you're a real person and you're not, oh, I don't know, a catfisher operating out of Lagos. Uh, right. And that helps your validity and you sell the scam. So, um, and a lot of times, many times, these criminals are also using old hacked accounts that they've acquired on the dark web in breaches uh, so they can use accounts that look valid. Maybe they have a high snap score or, you know, they've got a lot of activity. So they they pass the initial sniff test like, oh, this is actually a real person that's trying to connect with me. Right. Hmm. So, Joe, as you mentioned, the Yahoo boys have scripts that they use. And they have they don't just have scripts. They have best practices that they've published, training videos. Uh, yes, canned scripts and even live stream uh videos of them actively extorting their victims where they they talk about what to tell them as they're actually walking them to a Bitcoin ATM. It's really harrowing stuff. And none of this is hard to find. It's all on Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, Scribd, and YouTube. And these instructional the, videos. It, these instructional videos are there. Huh. Uh, and it absolutely violates the platform's content rules against criminal activities, of course. Uh, but that hasn't stopped <laughs> these criminals from using those platforms nonetheless. Uh, they're using things like basic code language, like calling their marks clients to evade basic mm. content filters. Um, and as you also might imagine, AI and deep fakes are making all of this even worse. Mm -hmm. So um, I just wanted to bring this to people's attention and say, you know, we, the term is called sextortion, which sounds kind of cutesy. But the bigger point here is that this, this is targeting minors predominantly. And so far... Uh, 21 minors have committed suicide as a result of being victims of sextortion crimes. And that number is an estimate, and it's probably a very low one. So, right. uh, yeah. yeah, the NCRI report says that sextortion is the most rapidly growing crime targeting children in the United States, Canada, and Australia. Yeah, we so had a story about this <clears throat> a while ago about a young man named Jordan DeMay who did yeah. end his life. Um, yep. And it was uh, heartbreaking, heartbreaking to hear that. Uh, some of the people responsible for that have since been extradited to the U.S. Yes. I don't know what's going on with it yet. Mm. Yes. Yeah, that, it's, it's nice to see some people being held responsible for what they're doing. Um, but uh, the impetus to me, uh, obviously we want the criminals to stop what they're doing. The impetus to me is on the social media companies. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they need to be doing yeah. a whole hell of a lot more. I saw just, as uh, you were mentioning, the, uh, the congressional testimony, and I was watching uh, some news reporting on that. And uh, they had the mother of one of the, the children. She had a, a teenage son who had committed suicide, uh, yeah. having been the victim of this. And yeah. uh, you know, the reporter um, asked her what she thought about the testimony, and she she was she was pretty dismissive of it. You know, she said they, these these companies come and they talk and they say all the things that they think the uh, they they want the. Um, the congressional folks to hear, but then they don't really change anything. And they no. spend a lot of money lobbying to make sure that they don't have any real rules applied to them. And uh, and meanwhile, kids are dying. Yeah, kids are dying. I mean, it's 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 not a, it, it, as I said, the term sextortion might sound kind of cutesy, but I mean, children are actually dying. 
So um, it's it's one of those. The, the impetus is on social media companies that need to do more. I'm not going to hold my breath. Uh, I really wish they would, and they need to. In the meantime, to try and make yourself be less likely to be a victim, make your account private. Be very wary of who you friend. Tell tell your children, tell your teenage <laughs> contacts that those friends lists are that even if you have a private profile, if you friend somebody, your friend list then becomes available to a potential extortionist, and then that's how they embed themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that always remember that things like screenshots are a thing. Uh, apparently, a lot of times the sextortionists are they eventually will move conversations over to Snapchat because Snapchat seems to be a little more secure than other social media platforms because it disappears images and and uh, t- and messages. But those disappearing images and messages really aren't. So it gives mm. people a false sense of security and they let their guard down. So mm-hmm. just be careful and and definitely make sure you can if if someone you know has been a victim of this. Uh, you know, save all the evidence, block report, never pay the extortion, right. deactivate accounts that are affected, and please tell a trusted adult, minors, if you're listening, tell a trusted adult who can help you because you're a victim here. Right. So, And this yeah. and th- this is not permanent. I know it seems like it's permanent. It's not permanent. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be very temporary. It might be a little bit embarrassing, but uh, it is survivable. And, the, and like you said, Maria, the truth of the matter is these kids are victims of these, these criminals. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know they're they're violating actually some pretty serious laws in the United States. And if we get them, if uh, we can get our hands on them, uh, things don't go well for them. Yeah, you know this reminds me of um, I think that like a lot of uh, parents out there who've who've been through having teenagers. You know, one of the things that my wife and I uh, did, uh, and this is not not new or unique to us. This is a I think a technique that's been around for decades is. When it comes to uh, alcohol and drunk driving is telling your kid, you know, if you find yourself in a situation where you don't feel safe, you call us and we will come and pick you up no matter where you are. And you will not yep. be in trouble for that, you know, yep. because yeah. the, the you being safe is way more important than, you know, you made a bad choice to drink or, you know, whatever, whatever it was. Yes. But yes. I think that philosophy can be applied to this as well to tell your kids proactively you know if you find yourself in trouble with something like this let us know and you will not be in trouble for it and we'll um, help you yeah right right yeah right. it's it's I, it, the embarrassment can't be understated i mean i i can only imagine how mortifying this must be uh, but it's that shame is really it is the weapon and if if a kid right. is alone and doesn't feel like they have anyone to turn to that can become deadly. So um, it's, I think it's on all of us to try and take that shame away and, and let especially minors know that like this is definitely, they're a victim and there's help for them. Right? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, uh, let's move on to my story, which uh, it is impossible for it to be anything but a little lighter than yours, Maria. Uh, <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> Uh, that Maria, that's the reason an important story that needs to be addressed. Yeah. Oh, it's important. It's absolutely important. Yeah. Right. Um, it's a hard act to follow. That's it all. Is. <laughs> Something lighter would be great. I would love that. Yeah. Right. So my story is about uh, rainbows and puppy dogs. Uh, no. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> actually, uh, I've got two stories here because they're short. And um, we'll have links to both of these in the show notes. The first one is uh, some research that the folks over at CoFence published. They're a cybersecurity company. And they were looking at some of the most common phishing email themes of 2023. 
Uh, and uh, they, they broke this down into different quarters of the year and things like that. And so I'm going to skip some of those specifics because they're not really relevant to us. But um, the major themes are, are things that we talk about here. Finance, that came in at 54%. Hmm. Uh, notification scams, which is... Uh, uh, 35%, shipping scams, 7%, and what they call response scams, which are 3%. None of this really uh, tracks or, or uh, surprises me, rather. Uh, and this is what they categorize as their major themes. So these are the, the really the top things that they see. They had uh, another level that they call moderate themes, and this included document scams. So someone sends you a PDF, a voicemail scam, something with travel assistance, uh, scam faxes, which are still a thing, oh. and, um, and uh, <laughs> yeah, legal scams. Um, yeah, I, I recently uh, had an interaction. I think I've mentioned this here. I had an interaction with my doctor where they, I asked them if I could email them something, and they said, no, but you can fax it. And I said, I'm sorry. Yeah. I left my yeah, fax machine in 1995, so I won't be faxing <laughs> that to you. Just send them the, the black sheets of paper over and over to ease up their toner. <laughs> right, exactly. Get them to move on, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then they also have minor themes, which uh, the ones that, that they don't see as much of, and, they, and some of those were benefit scams, tax scams, job application scams, and closing scams. Those are the scams where people, someone's buying a house uh, and, and oh, things yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to touch on today was uh, actually a report f uh, from the FBI that they had put out some notice that um, scammers, it seems more and more, are hiring couriers to collect cash from people uh, when they scam them. Couriers? Um, couriers, right. Oh, so what will happen is a scammer will get somebody on the line and they will have them either go to the bank and withdraw cash. An interesting wrinkle that this story talked about is um, they'll have people converting their money into precious metals. So they'll buy gold or something like gold, silver, diamonds, whatever it is. And then they'll have the courier come and pick up either the cash or the gold or whatever it is that's valuable. There's something that's valuable yet anonymous. Right? right, because you can go anywhere, and we can't go anywhere, but you can go to a a, a precious metals dealer with your gold, right? <laughs> and the which I know is something all of us have done wrong the time. <laughs> Who among us a, have not? Right, yes. exactly. Taking a big block of a brick of gold, uh, <laughs> an ingot, well, if you will, <laughs> right, to, Dave, to trade in for some farm animals or something. I don't. <laughs> Every time I sit down at this microphone, I have to put tape around my Mister T style size collection of gold chains I have. That's right. <laughs> yeah, Joe, you jangle a lot. Right. So <laughs> just to keep it so the mic doesn't pick up all my chains. Your Mister T starter set, <laughs> right. absolutely. Um, so the point they're making here is number one, the scammers are getting more bold about this, and, and the couriers don't know. They're you know they're they're innocent when it comes to this. So generally, they're just being hired to be a courier, go pick up a package from this person. They don't know what's in there, um, but it's another red flag, right? That if someone uh, says they're going to send a courier over to pick up some money or really anything of value, that is a huge red flag that uh, someone is not on the up and up because. Uh, mm. You know, the FBI, the IRS, your bank, they don't send couriers over to pick up cash. <laughs> or, just, or gold bars. Or gold bars, right. <laughs> just, just doesn't work that way. But uh, so spread the word. Evidently, this is something that the FBI is seeing more and more of, enough that they've concerned that they've 
put out a, a, a flyer about this sort of thing. So those are my stories this week. Joe, what do you have for us? Dave, I saw an article on Axios from Sam Sabin that was called, Companies Aren't Paying Ransoms Like They Used To. Hmm. Those companies, it's just not like the good old days of ransomware, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> right. instead, of, uh, instead of cryptocurrency, they're using gold bars. Right, yes. <laughs> yeah, we, we've devolved. <laughs> right. <laughs> but Sam actually links to a report from Coveware that has been tracking ransomware uh, since... 2018, and that's where I went. But th- this report covers a lot of stuff, but I really wanted to focus on this uh, this payment issue that ransomware gangs are going to are starting to experience. Okay, my heart breaks for them, of course. Uh, there are two <laughs> two dimensions here. Number one, the uh, first dimension is the number of victims who pay. Uh, if you go back to the first quarter of 2018. 85% of companies, or 2019, 85% of companies were uh, paying the ransom to the ransomware actors. Hmm. Now, in the last quarter of 2023, um, 29% have are paid the ransom. So of the people that got hit, only 29%, a little less than a third, hmm. paid the ransom, which is way down from almost all of them, yeah. 90%, yeah. Uh, 85%. Um, the other issue is that during the same uh, the same time frame, they uh, it was 2018. They have a uh, this data actually starts in quarter three of 2018, uh, and it the the median attack has ramped up in terms of value, right? So, how much do you think that people? What do you think the median value is for a ransomware attack? Well, it's around two hundred thousand dollars now, and you can watch it over time. It's kind of gone up to this two hundred thousand dollar mark hmm. now. In the last quarter or third quarter of last year, that mean was $750,000. Wow. So that mean was like almost four times the mean, the median, which means that there are some large outliers that are pulling that average up Hmm. and that most of the, you know, half of the uh, occurrences are below $200,000. And of the ones that are above $200,000, some of them are really, really, really far above $200,000. Now, in the fourth quarter of last year, that mean dropped by 33%. So hmm. that the mean that those those larger payments are much, much smaller. Hmm. So those outliers are getting closer to the to the uh to the median. Hmm. Um now this is not enough to say this is a trend, right? It's one quarter. Um, although the the downward trend of people paying is what I would call a trend. Um so why are people not paying? Coveware points to two major things. First, organizations have gotten on the bandwagon with good backups. Uh, so the ability to restore from backup is there, and then they're doing the math, right? And they, mm. they say, um, hopefully they have some idea how long it's going to take to restore from backup. They can mm. do a cost estimate of would it be cheaper to restore from backup or would it be, would it be cheaper to uh, assume that the uh, data can be decrypted in place. Now, if the data can be decrypted in place, how much of it do we get back? Because the answer is very rarely 100%. Yeah. It's, yeah. in fact, it's like 100% and fewer than 10% of the cases. So if you do the math, uh, you know, how likely are you to even get your, uh, your data back? And if you do get your data back, how likely are you to get that? Uh, now, you're, now you've come down to a value proposition of at least a quarter, right? Hmm. Like in other words- okay. The uh, if the cost differential between me restoring it and having the using the ransomware to restore it, if that is a million dollars, 
then I shouldn't pay more than $250,000 in ransom, right? Mm. Because yeah. okay. there's no, this, and this is a very naive calculation, you understand, right? Yeah, back assuming, of the napkin, yeah. Right, yeah. back of the napkin, Matt, <laughs> exactly. take your word for it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying that the value of the ransom is 25% of the delta between the costs. Okay, math boy, <laughs> whatever well, you say. that's assuming that the data is all of equal value, but okay. Like, right. How sensitive True. is the data? Yeah. True enough, yes. True enough. Yeah. My eyes glazed over a while back, but <laughs> Sorry keep about going, that. keep going. He said percentages. <laughs> yes, right. Me- weird Dave, means and, and mediums and averages and uh, Oh, this is like math class. Go on, Joe. Go so, on. Bring some us people home. are just saying, no, I'm not going to pay the ransom. We're just going to restore it. The other reason uh, is because they're not trusting the promises of the cyber criminals to not, uh, not disclose this information, which was the add-on yeah. that they started talking about hmm. like back in 2020 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And in fact, there's a great quote. I'm going to read this. Data-driven reluctance to pay for intangible promises from cyber criminals, such as promises not to disclose or misuse stolen data and promises to exempt the company from future attacks or harassment. <laughs> so that's yeah. the reasoning. They're, they're using data, right? These companies, we know you're not going to honor what you say. You're going to come after yeah. us again. You're going to sell our data anyway. Yeah. There's no sense yeah. in paying you the ransom to keep it to yourself. That's not even part of our calculus. And I don't know, Dave, but if you remember all the way back to when this started happening... My advice was don't make this part of your calculus mm. um, because you can't trust these people. Yeah. And and a lot of, uh, and now there's data that backs this up. You can't trust them and they're not, they're not paying it. Uh, there's much more to deal. this report. Yeah, it is a bad deal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but here's my question. Uh, I, I would recommend taking a look at the, at the, uh, at the Covert report. It's really good. It really has a lot of interesting stuff. Talks about um, the uh, merits of outlawing ransomware payments. Like, could you, could you criminalize that for companies? Would that further decrease these things? Right. But here's my question. As these ransomware payments start to go down, right, and these, these ransomware gangs or, or actors start making less and less money, what are they going to do next? Now, we've already seen one thing they do next, right, where they look in the data and then they go after the people in the data and start extorting them. Yep. Right, yep. To, right. Right. I mean, a lot of them aren't even bothering to encrypt anymore. They're just doing straight extortion. Yes, that's yes, right. Yeah. I mean, it, I would think surgical strikes might also, as you sort of in that in that vein, surgical strikes might be very interesting. Um, but that's sort of what they've always done too. So, I mean, the ransomware was always, for the most part, casting a broad net, right? So, right. if that doesn't work for a while, go back to what they used to do and be a little more targeted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wonder too about. Uh, the amount of influence that insurance has on this. Because on, on the one side, you would think that organizations that have insurance, they would be more likely to pay because it's not coming out of their pocket. But on the other hand, in these days, in order to get insurance, you really have to up your game when it comes to proving to the insurance company that you have all sorts of things in place that will will help keep you from getting ransomware in the first place. And that, to me, seems like a, a bit of a virtuous circle. Right. Yeah, it, it does. It, that is a good, a good, I never heard the term virtuous circle. That's a new one. And now my mind's stuck on it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice phrase. It is. Um, but I'm also wondering, as you're talking about that, I'm wondering if, if these insurance companies are saying uh, that we're not paying the ransomware guys. We're just going to pay for you to restore your data. Because number one, we don't know if you get your data back. And number two, we don't want to finance them. Right. And we know that over the long term, this is going to be the way to go to reduce risk is to take the the profit motive out of it. Right, right. That's an interesting way to think of it, that you're 
your insurance company is your is your partner in getting your data back whichever path you take on that journey. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. That's an interesting idea. All right. Well, we will have a link to uh, the report here in the show notes. And again, we would love to hear from you. If there's something that you would like us to cover here on the show, you can email us. It's hackinghumans at thecyberwire.com. Before we get to our catch of the day, we are going to take a quick break to hear from our show sponsor. Back to the concept of integrations. Nobefore's Security Coach uses standard APIs to quickly and easily integrate with your existing security products from vendors like Microsoft, CrowdStrike, Cisco, and dozens of others. Security Coach analyzes alerts your security stack generates to identify events related to any risky security behavior from your users. With this information, you can set up real-time coaching campaigns to target risky users based on those events from your network, endpoint, identity, or web security vendors. These campaigns enable you to coach your users at the moment the risky behavior occurs, with contextual security tips delivered via Microsoft Teams, Slack, or email. With 35 integrations and counting, Security Coach delivers the insight you need to improve your organization's security culture. Learn more about Security Coach at knowbefore.com slash security coach. That's knowbefore.com slash security coach. All right, we are back. Joe, it is time for our catch of the day. Dave, our catch of the day comes from William, who writes, I received this phishing scam the other day. Obvious scam to the trained eye. But if your business does a lot of social media business, this is really scary. And this is a Facebook Messenger scam. Okay, it goes like this. Important notification. Your Facebook page is scheduled for permanent deletion due to a post that has infringed upon our trademark rights. We have reached this decision after a thorough review and in accordance with our intellectual property protection policies. If you believe this to be a misunderstanding, we kindly request you to file a complaint seeking the reinstatement of your page prior to its removal from Facebook. And there's a link to the request for review. We understand that this situation may impact your ongoing business operations. However, please be informed that if we do not receive a complaint from you, our decision will be final. Your cooperation and understanding are greatly appreciated. Should you have any inquiries or apprehensions, please feel free to reach out to us. Sincerely, Facebook Support Team. <laughs> Copyright. No reply. Facebook Meta Platforms Incorporated. Attention. Community. Support. One Facebook way. Uh... Menio, Menlo Park. Mm. I can never remember how which park it is, and I'm reading this, and it looks like it's Menlo. Yeah. Um, this is obviously fake. Actually, I saw somebody on my Facebook feed post about this and say, is this real? And uh, I said, no. <laughs> Definitely a scam. Yeah. But I can see uh, what's going on here. I mean, particularly if you are relying on Facebook for some or part or all of your living, um, this, and I suspect what they're doing here is they're getting you to a fake, um, 
Facebook login. Right. Page I would bet to get that's exactly what they do. And then you log in and then they go in, they steal your uh, page, and then they kick you out as an administrator. Right. And now they have all your followers. It's interesting to look at the URL here, which goes to. I was to, just thinking that. <laughs> go on, Maria, to describe it. For I was, I was just at the end of it. There's a, a a tracking parameter at the end of the URL. I think it's a tracking parameter. It certainly looks like one. The question mark FB equals Meta, yes. which seems to imply to me that this is in, like a really broad campaign, and they're trying to get some stats on where they're getting people to click from. That's kind of amazing to huh. think if that's what that is. Right. That, that right. is. That is a uh, a a parameter that gets passed along with the with the URL string. Yeah, what caught my attention is that instead of going to Facebook, it goes to some uh, website called Cake.com, and the <laughs> instead of an A in Cake, there's, it's the number eight, so it's Cake.com or something. <laughs> yeah, Cake.com. Uh, yeah, lots of red flags, but yeah. uh, certainly worth looking out for. Uh, my sister's name is Kate, and she used to, when she was a teenager, sign her letters K-8. Ah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yep. Did she dot her eyes with hearts? No. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe when she was younger. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. We want to thank all of you for listening, and of course, we want to thank our sponsors at Before. They are experts at enabling a fully integrated approach to security awareness training. All right, well, that is our show. We want to thank all of you for listening. And of course, we want to especially thank our special guest, Maria Vermatsis. She is the host of the T-Minus podcast right here on the CyberWire Podcast Network. Uh, you can find that uh, wherever your podcasts are listed. Do check it out. It is uh, quite good. I, I enjoy it every day. Uh, our thanks to the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. A quick reminder that N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. Our executive producer is Jennifer Iben. This show is edited by Trey Hester. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. I'm Joe Kerrigan. And I'm Maria Varmazes. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.